We're in a nature crisis and having good data helps us to look after those habitats. Hi, I'm Ed. And I'm Kim. And this is a Nature-Based Solutions podcast. Pleasure to have you with me today, Ed. So, so nice change from status quo. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to be asked to fill in. Not just to fill in, to share your expertise. No, Murray is in Switzerland and you're the man of the moment because you have just released a paper that has been very well received as far as I can see. Can you tell us a bit about the paper? Yeah, sure. So for those who don't know me, I'm Ed Mitchard. I'm the other co-founder of Space Intelligence alongside Murray and I'm our chief scientist. And with my chief scientist hat firmly on, um, we've just released a paper that is critical, I suppose, a response to a, a paper that made uh, big waves in the summer by Thales West and co-authors. That was published in Science and was quite critical of uh, forest conservation projects funded by the carbon markets in general. It looks at a subset of those projects, about 24 of them, um, and found well, its findings suggested that maybe only 6% of the carbon credits produced by those projects were real. So me and co-authors didn't really think that was quite right that many in the markets like me have visited some of these projects and seen their benefits on the ground and that I just didn't tie in with what we we expected based on the, the data and the obvious benefits in these projects and um, so we looked through that paper in a, a lot of detail I've, I brought together a consortium of experts from satellite data analysts like me through to conservation implementation experts all the statistical matching expertise to look at the whether the impact of conservation effort in one place is reflected correctly against some control sites and how that works and then some economists as well from Switzerland. Impressive group wasn't it? It was a very high level scientist. Yes and obviously getting all of these people to work together on a draft when we all got jobs uh, doing other things is, it took a while so it's been a few months after that paper's been released before them this response has come out. But yeah, there's many aspects of that paper that we think weren't done as we'd have liked them to have been done. And there's therefore various errors and inconsistencies to have slipped in. And we, we disagree with the, the main results of that study. Um, anyway, our, our paper is now public and uh, people can have a look at that. And I'm sure Thales West and others will respond to it. Yeah. And as far as I can see, because it only became available yesterday, a lot of people have been very pleased to see it and to read it. I have no idea how many people have actually read it. It's fairly long and technical and a lot of positive responses appeared on LinkedIn and otherwise suspiciously quickly. <laughs> and I imagine it might take a while for people to digest the details of it. But yes, in general, I guess we're not the only people who felt that this paper was yeah, didn't represent the reality of what's happening in most red projects around the tropics that most people agree are successfully protecting forests. So I think people are positive that... There's been some discussion around the, the accuracy of this paper and maybe that will lead to a more nuanced view in 2024. Let's hope so, yeah. Lots of discussion to come, I'm sure. And you've raised the point that science is clearly your main passion. You are the chief scientist. And science is so important at space intelligence. It's the basis of everything. And so it's really nice to be able to talk about one of your projects in quite a lot of detail today. You've been working with Nature, Scott. Yeah, it's really nice. This was actually one of our first projects that we got involved with as space intelligence as we began to grow, uh, was mapping land cover over all of Scotland for Nature, Scott. And so yeah, we worked with Philippa since early 2020, I think, 2019. Gosh, all through the COVID years as well, she was saying. Yeah, yeah. lots of great collaboration. So Philippa is the Innovative Technologies Programme Manager and so I asked her about the importance of land cover maps to Nature Scott. Yeah, so I mean habitat mapping and, and data on habitats is, is really important for conservation, knowing where 
habitats are helps you to manage and, and look after them. And in Scotland, we're really lucky. We've got some really special habitats that support a unique range of, of species. So, you know, knowing where those are is obviously really important. We're in a nature crisis and having good data helps us to look after those habitats. We're also in a climate emergency and how we manage our land has a huge impact because different habitats and land uses store carbon in vegetation and soils and, and some habitats like peatlands, for example, if they're looked after and are in good condition can even absorb carbon. So we know that there's that link that habitats that are in good condition that are good for biodiversity and good for nature are also good for carbon. So the, the two are linked and, and helping nature will also help us to manage the effects of climate change. So having a good and complete map of land cover that allows us to map the extent and distribution and, and maybe even track change over time is a really vital tool in, in our response to both the nature and climate emergencies. And I mean, I guess Nature Scott and our partners have carried out you know, site-based habitat and vegetation surveys for many years. These were usually done by ecologists in the field and, and those maps have been digitized, but they tend to be very detailed surveys of, of quite relatively small areas. And what our users told us that they really needed in this nature and climate emergency was a more complete habitat map of Scotland that could really be regularly updated as well to show change over time. And that really meant that we had to look at satellite data. And that was when we started the work with space intelligence. So, you know, this data has already started to feed into things like natural capital assessments. So natural capital assets are our habitats and ecosystems. And, and when they're healthy, they provide benefits called ecosystem services to people. So to enable a sort of natural capital approach to decision-making on land that's based on the full range of benefits that nature provides. We really need, do need that, to have that good map um, that can be updated at regular intervals. The data has also been used to inform opportunity mapping, um, so where to, where to have those nature restoration projects, and that can inform discussions with communities landowners and funding partners and it, it might also help to identify sites for for nature protection it's been used to help map connectivity between habitats and nature sites so you know thinking about rather than isolated protected areas having that sort of nature network and and, and also to facilitate discussions between partners because obviously you have to have you know cooperation and collaboration between lots of partners to to achieve that yeah I mean, it's fantastic work that you've been doing, and it was mostly thanks to this that Space Intelligence was able to map 28 different land cover classes. And I think that's the most land cover classes the company's ever mapped. Can you just talk us through that kind of reference material? Yeah, I mean, it is a really, a really detailed map. And I think, yeah, a, a kind of unique product between the expertise of, of Nature Scott and Space Intelligence. So, so we have those site-based surveys that were typically carried out by expert field surveyors and they were usually on protected areas and they were used to inform the management of those areas. So that data that's all digitized was used to help train the models that space intelligence used to classify the data. And it is a predictive map. So some of that data was kept in reserve so it could be used to, to validate the, the maps and give each class a sort of confidence figure based on how well the model 
had, had mapped that particular habitat type or land cover. And that's really important and, and pretty unique in habitat mapping. And it's important because it helps us to understand how well the, the models are mapping different habitats and we can use the data accordingly to those confidence figures. In Nature Scott, we've also got a team of earth observation specialists who help to create new training data polygons for the models to help them map habitats that we didn't maybe have as much data for. And of course, Nature Scott, we're really lucky as an organization. We've got specialists all over Scotland who really know the areas that they work in, in really well and, and understand the habitats and land cover types that are there. And I think we were able to tap into that incredible resource to help the specialists at Space Intelligence to understand what land cover types and, and habitats were, were present and, and what the models were, were showing them. And I remember setting up a call during lockdown between the space intelligence scientists and some of our Nature Scott area specialists in Orkney. And we were looking at the satellite images and the, the maps that have been created to really work out what land cover types could be recognized and, and mapped and, and what the models were telling them. So that was really um, nice to be able to arrange that and bring those people together. Yeah, it's a real meeting of minds, isn't it? <laughs> And you touched on the validation of data, and this is hugely important to space intelligence, but also to nature, Scott. So how did you work together to validate the data? So, I mean, through calls like that and through using our, our data to improve the models and, and using that on the ground knowledge from nature, Scott colleagues across Scotland, we've also looked at how we can um, validate the map further using a, a combination of, of desk study and field study techniques. So we've had two students working with us in Nature Scott to develop ways of collecting ground measurements. So using tablets out in the field, and that will help us to create new training data for the models and also validate the, the data in the field. And a second student who was um, part of the, the Data Lab graduate placement scheme looked at how many validation points we would need to visit across Scotland for all the different habitats to get a really sort of statistically robust validation of, of the map. And we've also explored if we can use other data like aerial photos for to help us validate some of the habitats. So some of the ones that are more easy to recognise. And so, yeah, that's kind of work ongoing, really. It's really exciting, isn't it? And it's such an innovative approach. And I know that innovation is a big part of Nature Scott. So what else would you like to do in this area? So, yeah, I, it was really, really innovative. And I think, you know, a real strength using the skills of, of space intelligence and the knowledge and expertise of Nature Scott. It was great to be able to sort of reach out and, and hard, you know, use the skills that were in space intelligence to, to kind of complement what, what we had as an organization. We definitely like to do more validation to understand where we can improve the models. You know, we, we need more training data, particularly for habitats that are harder to tell apart in, in the images, like some upland habitats, or we need to validate areas where there's been change in land cover to understand exactly what's, you know, what's going on there. It would be great if we could develop that into a system where we could collect field data that was easily available for future iterations of the map. And I think, you know, it's important to say that it, it's great being able to, to map these habitats from, from space, but it, it doesn't replace the need for, for field surveyors and, and the two really should complement each other. That 
validation is a much less time, much less of a time commitment than sending people out on a full survey. You know, can you imagine how long it would take to to create a map of the whole of, of Scotland? So the two work really, really well together. And we can use the map to help target our field survey effort to to habitats that, you know, a priority in our in climate change and, and bi- biodiversity loss work. I think there's some exciting things we could maybe investigate with citizen science and maybe we could have um, citizen scientists to help us to collect the, the training data and getting the, you know, the tools and the data flows right for that would enable more people, both in Nature Scott and other organisations, to work collaboratively and in, improve the map. I think change over time is would be really valuable use of the map. So, you know, improving um, how how the map shows us change over time, particularly where the nature restoration has, has taken place and, and we could use it to show how nature's recovering. That would be a really positive story to share with people. I think we've done a really good job of mapping habitats to a very high level of detail, like you were saying, high number of classes. I think it would be good to improve the spatial resolution of the data as well. So we can, you know, map areas that are in more detail and maybe we can investigate how we could use LIDAR to do that or some very high resolution satellite data, maybe from commercial providers. That does introduce challenges because one of the real strengths of this map is that it's open data and it's therefore available to anyone to use to, to take decisions for nature to facilitate discussions between partners. So I wouldn't want to to lose the open nature of, of yeah. the data. And I guess if I could have a Christmas wish, it's before Christmas, so I'll, I'll have a Christmas wish. It would be able to map habitat condition as well as extent and distribution. So, Well, this is what fascinates me is there's, there's really no limit to what's possible. The restraints are really only budget, time, you know, all these kind of mundane things if you like but the technology is there the science is there you know the will is there and it's just trying to find that solution that ticks all the boxes but but lots of people have been using this map it makes you go oh wow this really is a fantastic resource for Scotland isn't it yeah absolutely you're right you know it, in some ways I think one of the challenges is is understanding you know what data do we need and what questions do we do we want to ask of, of the technology I think you, you've got to think of technology kind of hand in hand with the validation data as well and the training data. You know, AI and, and machine learning just doesn't work if you don't have that good training data. And, you know, that has to be good and comprehensive. It's no good if it's just for one part of Scotland or, or a handful of habitats. So I think we do need to start thinking about how we collect field data and how we make that available so that, you know, future iterations of the map can be even even better. It would be great if we could build that kind of community of, of users around the map and, and really support it going forward. Well, it's been really interesting chatting to you and understanding the process and hopefully we'll come back to you and find out how future maps have turned out as well. That would be great, yeah. Be happy to do that. So these maps of Scotland uh, are a great example of the type of habitat maps we can produce. Um, in fact, they're among the most difficult ones we've ever produced. Um, quite often in the tropics, we're asked to separate maybe six to eight classes. That'd be things like intact forest, degraded forest, agriculture, grassland, water, that kind of set. 
in Scotland, nature Scott asked us to separate 26 classes in the end, uh, lots of different types of forests and different types of bog, which is quite challenging. But I suppose because it's in the backyard, we're based in, in Edinburgh, and uh, we know a lot of these, these mountains and hills and forests. It helped us in developing an accurate map that can separate these classes. Um, and yeah, we're really pleased with the results. Yeah, and it's open source, so anyone can access it, which is fantastic. Absolutely. It's on our website. It's on the uh, Nature Scott website as well. Excellent. And you had a great team of scientists working on it. So I had a quick chat with David McLeish, who was the lead scientist, just to understand some of the detail that went into it. I was one of the lead scientists working on it, and I covered quite a lot across the kind of data analysis pipeline we have. So that included things like creating the training data, running the models, and also reviewing the maps to further improve them. So Philippa was saying there's a lot of research and information that Nature Scott's done about habitats and the ecosystems in Scotland. So how did that help you with the training of the data? Well, yeah, Nature Scott has a lot of online kind of information about Scotland's habitats. So one of the new things in this 2022 map was we were trying to expand the coastal ecosystems on the map. So we added four new classes of things like coastal dunes and sandy shores, coastal shingle, rock cliffs, etc. And so obviously it's very hard to just go and single out one beach which is made of shingle or sand, but Nature Scott has quite a good inventory of where these are. So it really helped us in kind of singling out these places and creating the best training data for these new classes that we could. Yeah, and there were 28 classes, weren't there, in the map? Is that the most you've ever managed? It is, and I think it's the most we've ever done at Space Intelligence. It was quite a challenge at the start trying to, because there's things like there's four different types of grassland, many different forest classes. So it is quite a challenge creating good training data that the kind of machine learning model will be able to single out and differentiate between but I think we did quite a good job in the end. You can really see the difference between the grasses, the forests. And of course, like there's, there is reference data to help us with that. So for instance, Scott's pine woodland, we needed some very good data sets to show us where that was because it actually looks quite similar to the kind of coniferous plantations like Sitka spruce. That's amazing. So when you saw the finished map, what was your immediate thoughts about how this could be used? Well, I think it is probably the only up-to-date version that really shows that with accuracy where a lot of these important ecosystems and habitats are in the country. And one of the interesting things that we did in this map actually is we made a new class called windblown trees. So in, uh, I think it was 2021, November 2021, there was a big storm which basically wiped out a lot of the forest in southern Scotland. And... I think that was quite an interesting application. We could more accurately estimate how much forest got decimated by that big storm. Of course, there are probably lots of other applications Nature Scott used, including things like forest change, deforestation, regrowth. Within Scotland, there's a lot of changing forests with the plantations, lots of new ones getting planted. So it's a good way to kind of estimate that on a, on a national scale. Yeah, it's fantastic. You must be really proud of it. How did you feel when it was finally finished? Oh, yeah, no, I was really proud. And it is quite special because a lot of the work we do at Space Intelligence is in faraway lands in the tropics. So it was really special being able to map somewhere so close to home. We're very proud of it. And I think it was a great achievement with so many 
different classes as well and such a large scale of course yeah and it's open source as well so anyone can access it so it's a real tool for the average scot as well isn't it exactly exactly if you want to find an amazing scots pine woodland or if you want to find a beautiful coastal shingle beach you can use this map and it will help you find out where to go That sounds like a fantastic project and a really good way of explaining to people who maybe don't understand the science what it is that space intelligence does. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is our second last podcast of 2023. So sad, but also proud, I think, of all the things we've covered over the last few episodes. You've told us some great stories. Yeah, if you've missed uh, particularly my episode, go back and listen. The many interesting range of people we've talked to. Yeah, find out what happens when Edwin's swimming with a snake. And we're finishing next week with Marin, who's coming on from Everland. And I'm really excited to talk to her. So Jorts gives a flavor of what Everland is? Yeah, so we've worked with Everland for a number of years. Uh, we're a major partner providing maps for them for their uh, tropical forest protection projects around the tropics. Um, I've worked with Dr. Marin Poli for, for several years. She has a, a similar kind of background to me in terms of uh, scientists moved into a company to try and um, save forests effectively. Um, we've collaborated on various scientific papers looking at the impact of forest protection projects and trying to track how those have worked over the long term as well as directly helping her with the, the actual conservation work in the projects that Everland support. And Everland are, a, as I understand it effectively, a carbon credit sales company. So they support projects on the ground, work very closely with a set of project developers, and then work with companies, particularly in the US, to, to market and sell those credits. So this is targeted at companies that are trying to reduce their own carbon footprint as much as they can. And then with the remaining carbon footprint that's residual, they, they can't get to zero because... For example, there is no supply of carbon-free steel, so what are you going to do? Yeah, They help them purchase carbon credits uh, with all the other characteristics in terms of co-benefits and biodiversity that they, they want. That's fantastic. No, I'm really excited to speak to her. And Murray will be back next week from his trip in Switzerland, so hopefully he'll have some news from Switzerland for us also. Maybe he'll have brought us back some chocolates. <laughs> so you can take his line. Thanks for listening, everyone. Subscribe now to the Nature Based Solutions podcast on all major podcast players out every Wednesday for a 10 part series. And if you do enjoy our chat, then check out some of the other podcasts that we've recorded Edinburgh Space Data Capital, Scotland's Secret Space Race, Great British Liftoff, and Inspired by Space. <laughs>